2: Welcome to today's podcast, sponsored by Hillsdale College. All things Hillsdale at hillsdale.edu. I encourage you to take advantage of the many free online courses there. And, of course, to listen to the Hillsdale Dialogues, all of them at q for hillsdalecom or just Google Apple, iTunes, and Hillsdale. Back now with my friend Arthur Brooks, part two about this book, which we began yesterday, Build the Life You Want, Arthur Brooks and Oprah Winfrey. Yesterday was the intro, Arthur. Now I want to do, in part two, the most important takeaway for me. Now, that's not for everybody, but for me is stop judging people. Now, (laughs) uh, you and I are both Catholics, so that means we've both been exposed to a lot of terrible church music. And I try not to judge the liturgy every time I go, but I always judge the liturgy. And in confession, I always get assigned the litany of humility because it's a very good (laughs) litany. But I think it is the key takeaway to being happy. Would you explain what the judgment advice is and how you uh, came to it in the middle of build the life you want?
3: Yeah. So this book talks a lot about how you can manage your emotions through three basic techniques. Now to begin with, you have to understand your emotions and get space between what you feel And how you understand these emotions, and you can do that through journaling and meditation and prayer, and some people go to therapy and whatever. But once you actually have some space between the the things that are bombarding you emotionally and what you decide to do, then you can react in several ways that are very constructive. Number one is you can decide to react differently than you feel. The second is you can substitute better emotions for the ones that you feel. And the third is what you're talking about. Which is, you can disregard your own judgment on the world, and this is a this is critically important. Look, people are walking through the world saying, "This is bad, this is good, this is bad." I'm bad. I'm not lovable. You're not interesting. The traffic is crummy. The the, the coffee is bitter, and it's just exhausting because when you're doing that, you're not observing that the world. You can't live in awe, and the result is that you are. In those moments, the central character in your psychodrama, the minute that you're judging everything then the whole world is subject to the judgments of Hugh Hewitt. And you can't stop thinking about Hugh. And that's just torture. We need to actually get some perspective and some peace. And the best way to do it is judge not to quote St. Matthew. Now, he says, judge not lest you be judged. And even if people are listening to us are not Christian men and women like you and me. Then Judge not lest you be judged because when you judge everything around you, you're judging yourself as well and it's exhausting and you will be unhappy. Stop with the opinions already. You don't need an opinion on everything. You almost don't need an opinion on anything.
2: Let it go. Uh, just simply Let allow it, it to roll over your back. I think it's a, just maybe the key chapter, but there are a lot of key chapters in here, Arthur. Let's uh, make sure I touch on the key technique. I told them what the key takeaway, which is to keep a database of positive memories close at hand. And I employed yeah. this when my oldest, who is now 38, was a little girl, and she would have a nightmare. It's happened. I would always end up with her talking about her favorite ride at Disneyland. And we would substitute a Disneyland ride for whatever it is that had woke her up with the bad dream. And I immediately referenced back to that when you talked about keeping a storehouse of good memories close at hand. That sounds so simple. It's really a wonderful idea, but people don't do it. They keep their bad memories close at hand, but they don't keep their great memories close at hand. Am I right? Generally.
3: Absolutely. We have a negativity bias, and that's just part of evolution. Evolution has equipped us to always pay attention to bad things and refer back to the the archive of bad things that have happened in the past. And there's a reason for this, Hugh. You know, the the, the negativity bias that that humans have is because negative emotions keep you alive, quite frankly. Your anger and your disgust and your fear and your sadness— This makes sure that threats don't hurt you. You're able to run away, that you that you're 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 afraid of being sad. So you don't want to be separated from your kin, you don't so you don't walk the frozen tundra and die alone. All of these negative experiences that or the negative emotions that we have are keeping us alive. The result of that is they're always getting our attention and we remember those things very distinctly as well. But that's not adapted in a functional way. You know, the truth of the matter is that, you know, uh, uh walking the frozen tundra is bad, but Twitter is no big deal. And so we're thinking about negative things that are little and un- and insignificant using the same onboard computing hardware that was developed for the Pleistocene era. So what do we need to do? We need to be smart about it. Don't live just according to our instincts, but actually think and and, and create a strategy that's more practical for the current moment. When you have a bad memory, when you have a a a bad dream when you're feeling particularly negative, usually that's not an accurate representation of the world around you. You know, one of the things, you know, people always say, look on the bright side. Well, actually, you have to be more specific than that. You have to be more tangible than that. And the 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 Disneyland memories are a really good place to start. I recommend that people keep a running list of the things for which they're grateful. Update it every Sunday, the top five things. I don't care how stupid they are. I got a bag of candy corn and liked it. If that's on your list, more power to you. Update it every Sunday. Look at it every single day. Literally, you'll be 25% happier at the end of 10 weeks because of the emotional substitution that you're undertaking.
2: Candy corn is a very good place to start. I want to start with the, uh, the original Star Wars movie because you made me aware in this book, you and Oprah did, Build the Life You Want. Uh, I recalled the scene in the first Star Wars movie where they're trapped in the trash compactor and it's getting, the yeah. walls are getting closer and they're getting. That's social media, Arthur. Every day, yeah. judgments are being thrust back upon people. And your advice do not Google yourself. Pay no right. attention to what people are saying to you. Now, that's extremely put. You've got to pay attention to what your spouse, your family, your friends, and your employer are saying about you. But generally, the observed life is not a happy life. And if you're observing That's yourself right. being observed, you're really in that trash compactor. And every day, the pressure is growing. And I don't know if you're in time. I don't know if you're going to be able to, to get the bar up to stop that, because social media is overwhelming, the younger generation especially.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Social media is is terrible for, for your happiness. And different platforms are terrible in different ways, by the way. So if you look at Twitter, or, you know, aka X, which we're calling it these days, that's a that's really a machine that will bring you down because it tends to it tends to attract malignant narcissists that feed off of your unhappiness through a lot of hatred and negativity. Uh, uh, Instagram, on the other hand, it tends to bring down your happiness because of social comparison. There's not that much negative politics on Instagram, but there's a lot of people more beautiful than you who have more pronounced you know, abdominal muscles than you, who have more money than you, who have a nicer car than you. And the result is that social comparison. Remember, when you judge everything out there, you're also allowing yourself to be judged. And that social comparison is, a, is an unhappiness machine. The reason that people go to these platforms all the time is they get hooked because of dopamine, a neural modulator in the brain that has to do with the anticipation of reward. All addictions from smoking to methamphetamine to gambling to pornography, all those terrible things, they, they all have to do with, with dopamine and social media engages the same set of circuits. It also has to do with the fact that we crave Social life—we crave relationships with other people because of a hormone called oxytocin in our brain. The problem is we don't get any of that hormone from social media. So social media kind of works like the burgers and fries of social life. You're hungry, you eat it. It makes you both malnourished and obese if you eat it all the time. And, and, and it's just the cheap calories
2: food. of thinking. Uh, I've Absolutely. spent a lot of time. Working on friendship from the time I was in, an undergraduate reading Montaigne's 26 essay in the first volume all the way through like three months ago. Arn and I did a series on Aristotle's three kinds of friendship. You put devote a lot of this book and Oprah talks about Stedman and, and, uh, her good woman friend whose name is escaping me right now. Gail and,
3: King. Gail King. Yeah, that's yeah. it,
2: Gail. And Gail. I was talking to the fetching Mrs. Hewitt about that because she just loves Oprah about their relationship, which she's always talked about. Arthur, you I know that that Esther is your closest friend and wife, but who are your closest friends outside of your family?
3: Yeah, no, that's just something I really had to work on. And part of it is because I didn't have a, a collegiate experience. It's very interesting, by the way, Hugh, seeing you in the habitat of your 45th college reunion. That was extraordinary, I have to tell you, because I saw you hanging around with all these really close friends. And by the way, a, they're all political liberals. Oh, they're very lefty. Politically. They're all lefties. Yes. They're all lefties. Yes. And, and, you know, it's like you're yucking it up. You're having a great day. It was beautiful to see. But I didn't have that experience because I was a college dropout. You know, I, I you know, quit, went, played music, moved to Europe, did the whole thing, you know, got married. And, and I, I missed all of my 20s, so I didn't have those particular relationships. And I found as I was doing a lot of the relationship or the research on relationships that I had a lot of deal friends, but not that many real friends. Now, we all know the difference between real and deal. And so I realized I had to do a whole lot of recuperative work to go back. And, and actually see if i was doing the work with people that were going to be my real friends and now i'm much better at that. Now i'm a super extrovert. Extroverts have a hard time digging into relationships. Introverts are much better at real friendship than extroverts are. Extroverts just want fresh meat all the time. Introverts they want to have a, you know, go deep down the silo with these people. But i've actually done the work and besides my wife and besides, you know, my immediate family members, i have a very super close friend in Atlanta his name is Frank Hanna. I love him. Um, he's, you know, he's Catholic like I am. He wants me to be holy. He wants me to be happy. I talk to him every week, usually for about an hour. I have another friend. His name is Tully Friedman. He's in, he's in, he's in San Francisco. I talk to Tully Friedman all the time. He's 81 years old. He's been with me since my AEI days. And, you know, he, he, he cares about me, Hugh. He actually cares about my happiness. And, you know, that makes it possible for me to, for, to, to cultivate these relationships in new ways. And you know why I did it? I didn't do it because it came naturally. I did it because my research said, Brooks, you're not going to be happy until you do that work.
2: Of that This is so compelling and to build the life you want. the uh, The chapters on friendship, the three kinds and how to assemble what you need and to keep score of it. That is part two. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about the toxic culture in which we are living. And part of the solution is to build the life you want. Build the life you want. Available in bookstores now. Don't miss part three tomorrow. Welcome back, America. Roger Whitaker is alien to my next guest, Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas. He's too young. But Great Britain's equivalent of Perry Como needs to be memorialized. Good morning, Senator. How are you?
4: Good morning, Hugh. I'm doing well. It's good to be on with you.
2: I want to begin with two questions that are unrelated to Ukraine, finish with Ukraine. The first comes from the Washington Post. Their third story on, that, on the website this morning is the teens fighting to keep Youngkin's trans policies out of their school. It goes on to talk about the, uh, the kids who keep showing up in Virginia Beach asking that Ralph Northam's policy be returned to allow students to play in all sports and to dress in either locker room in which they identify. So I did some research. There are, according to the LGBTQ database, 723, uh, self-identifying trans students in the state of Virginia. There are 22,000 students in the state of Virginia in academic clubs. There are 174,000 students in athletics. What is wrong with our media, Senator, that we spend so much time? I'm very compassionate towards family and children who think they're a gender than they're not. But, I just don't understand why we focus so much on this.
4: Well, Hugh, the problem with the media is that it's become an open wing of the Democratic Party. Those numbers you just laid out are stark. The Washington Post bans the ramparts on behalf of an issue that is a very small niche issue in which public opinion, and including teen opinion, I'm quite sure, in the state of Virginia, strongly sides with Governor Duncan's common-sense approach that uh, students, especially girls, need uh, to have uh, sports that are fair to them and where they can compete against other girls, and they need privacy when they go to the bathroom. Um, But the Washington Post, as I said, is just a wing or an extension or an arm of the Democratic Party, as is most traditional media sources. Um, And therefore, they read, like, uh, email newsletters from the Democratic National Party or their left-wing activist
2: groups. Except they include my column, and then that gets all those people to to engage and comment negatively. All right, Senator, I just think it's crazy. Second crazy story is from the Wall Street Journal. Headline, $100 a barrel oil is the Fed's next challenge. Well, here's a bulletin. No, it's not. It's Joe Biden's challenge. Am I right, or is the Wall Street Journal headline right?
4: (laughs) No, Hugh, you're right. Um, I mean, it's a challenge in the sense that it's going to add inflationary pressures to our economy that are already pressing against it. You're up to $95 a barrel and gas is starting to bump back up against $4 a gallon. But this is not the Fed's fault. This is Joe Biden's fault. Uh, the president has repeatedly waged a war on oil and not just oil, on coal and gas as well. And it's not surprising that Americans are paying record high prices for gas and electricity and um and soon to be gasoline as well. Um, I mean, just in recent weeks, he has taken out, uh, of, um, the realm of exploration and production, places that are actually in something called the National Petroleum Reserve view. Um, yeah. and at every turn, at every turn, his administration is trying to make it harder to produce American oil and gas and coal, um, while they're continuing to subsidize Chinese manufactured wind and solar power, as well as electric vehicles that are too expensive and don't suit the needs of most Americans.
2: Now, I I want to point out to people, of the major oil producers in the world, there is Russia, our enemy, Iran, our enemy, Saudi Arabia, our estranged ally that Joe Biden can't figure out if he hates or likes, and us. And the only one that could offset the production cuts in the first three is us. And we're not doing that, Senator. Senator. And so obviously the the cost of oil is going to go up.
4: No, we're not at all. Um, again, yeah, Joe Biden, again, is it, undertaking every effort he can to hamstring American energy sources. And it doesn't just stop at our borders either. You, you mentioned Saudi Arabia are our estranged ally. Um, to the extent they are estranged, it's because Joe Biden and the Democratic Party has waged a campaign against Saudi Arabia for five years. Remember in the political campaign of 2020 said that he would ostracize them and make them up for Raya. So we shouldn't be surprised if, if we treat our friends like their adversaries, then they are not as just a, taking actions that would help us and would help the rest of our allies around the world. Um, Along that line,
2: can- the, uh, a huge story today is, did India order the assassination of a... Sikh separatists in Canada, and Canada has asked us to join them in in condemning India for doing so. We've refused to do that, but my, because Joe Biden cares about Modi and the relationship with India more than he does about one activist, isn't that exactly the opposite of Joe Biden's position on Saudi Arabia and the murder of the uh, Jamal in in the Turkish embassy by bone saw?
4: Well, without getting into, into the underlying facts of the allegation to you about which I, I'm not going to comment, I, I will say that the key dividing line when you're dealing with any government should be very simple. Are they pro-American or are they anti-American? Um, and Saudi Arabia, just like India, has been more pro-American for decades. Saudi Arabia in particular, uh, going back to what's, uh, made in the 1940s to side with the United States as against Soviet Russia. Um, but under Joe Biden, for that matter, under Barack Obama, the Democratic Party um, has a campaign to ostracize Saudi Arabia. And then they act shocked when Saudi Arabia is, is somewhat nipped and, and won't listen to their entreaties to raise oil production right before the midterm elections. Uh, what we need to do to these countries is thank them for being aligned with America to work out our differences privately and diplomatically when those differences arrive, and to give them the assurances they need, that, for instance, when Iran shoots missiles into their countries, we are going to be there and stand with them steadfastly.
2: I want to close with Ukraine. You are one of the clear-sighted voices in Congress on Ukraine. The Republican House caucus is split over to aid Ukraine. If they had the attackums and the F-16s, this offensive would be over and would have succeeded. They don't have the attackums and they don't have the F-16. Do you favor getting them to them in the next appropriation?
0: Well,
4: Hugh, what I agree with all House Republicans, I know, whether they've supported or opposed ulterior to Ukraine in the past, is that Joe Biden did much to tempt Vladimir Putin to go for the jugular in the first place by granting one sided concessions to Vladimir Putin and uh, showing weakness in twenty twenty one. And he has certainly prolonged this war and made it bloodier than it had to be by his continued refusal to simply provide Ukraine the weapons that they needed to fight and defend their territory. And we're still in this cycle of refusal, hesitation, reconsideration, and then flip-flopping. I called last week for the president to provide the long-range missiles, Army Tactical Missile Systems, also known as ATACMs, so Ukraine could hold at risk all of those supply and logistics depots that are on Russian-occupied Ukraine territory. It would be much easier to breach defensive lines if the Russian soldiers at the front of those lines didn't have secure supply depots behind them, providing them ammunition and shells and so forth. So if Joe Biden had simply followed what Richard Nixon did in the Yom Kippur War, which is to send everything that shoots on everything that flies, this war would have ended a long time ago. They're still tied. Ukraine is getting through those defensive lines. They're making steady gains, not as fast as they would like or that you and I would like. Uh, But we should simply provide them the weapons that they need to defend their own country and to show Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping that the world will not tolerate wars of unprovoked aggression.
2: Last question, Senator. Uh, Last week, we talked about a Wall Street Journal poll that showed even a majority of Democrats didn't want President Biden to run because of his age. Since then, a CBS News poll offered only 33 percent. Only a third of Americans think he would finish a second term. I know what your position is, but let's reiterate this. You, you've dealt with the, the, the president when he was vice president. You've followed his career for a long period of time. He should not run. Are you in favor, has the infirmity gotten to the point where you're in favor of 25th Amendment sort of stuff? That's up to him in the cabinet. It's not up to you. But what do you think?
4: Well, no, Hugh, you're right. It's up to, to his cabinet and ultimately to him. But I think it's obvious to with eyes and common sense and Joe Biden's tool to be president today much less for five plus more years. Um, and Democratic voters, even though we don't necessarily agree on a lot of issues, have eyes and some of them have common sense and they can see that as well. And it's uh, you know, quite notable how the Democratic Party doesn't want Joe Biden to run for election. Yet the Democratic Party elite are circling the wagons to protect him and insulate him from their own voters to the greatest extent they can. Why did they move uh, their opening caucuses and primaries from Iowa and New Hampshire? They were worried their voters in those states would repudiate President Biden just like they did in 2020. So they've taken every step possible, like a phalanx of bodyguards, to surround Joe Biden, not from Republicans, Hugh, but from their own Democratic Party voters.
2: So here's my closing question. I look at the Democratic field. And I expect President Biden to step aside after he wins in South Carolina, sort of a balm to his ego, and then throw it open. And then I expect the vice president to run, but I also expect Gavin Newsom to run, Jared Polis, maybe Josh Shapiro, that's a bit of a reach, Roy Cooper. Who do you think would present the greatest formidable obstacle to whomever the Republican nominee is, looking like Donald Trump right now, but that can, of course, change. No matter who we nominate, who would be the best Democrat to run, and you would think presents the greatest challenge?
4: Well, Hugh, I'm not going to answer your question uh, for two reasons. One, um, I think it's risk in politics to try to predict who would be the easiest person to beat. There's no better example of that than the Democrats and Hillary Clinton pining away for Donald Trump in 2016. And two, I don't think it really matters all that much, whether it's Joe Biden or Kamala Harris or Gavin Newsom. All of these politicians have mortgaged their convictions entirely to the far left in america and they're all going to pursue the kind of highly ideological uh policies if they were ever to become president that joe biden has that's why it's so important that once we have a nominee our party rally behind that nominee and do what's necessary to persuade independent and swing voters and turn out republican voters to win next fall
2: uh, Senator Cotton, I greatly appreciate your being with me this morning. Keep coming back and, uh, and go around the Senate and find Senator, uh, Scott for me and tell him if he says he's done a show, he's got a show. Uh, because he didn't. Uh, I appreciate your taking the time with me. Good morning, Glory America. Bonjour. Hi, Canada. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Ten days ago, I was supposed to be in Michigan for my 40th law school reunion class up at the U. But I didn't go because Delta Airlines it doesn't keep any extra tires in Portland, and they blew one. So they had a great time, and they crushed whoever they were playing. Mike Rogers is going to be the next senator from Michigan, and I are not going to talk about Ohio State-Michigan because he's wrong about that, but he's right about nearly everything else. Uh, Mike Rogers, welcome back to the U.S show. Congratulations on your announcement. You're running for Senate in 2024. Give us the background bio first so we can get people GPS you on why you can win Michigan and no other Republicans been able to.
1: Thanks, Hugh. And I, I just have one quick correction. I got my uh, military commission through University of Michigan. There has never been a day I voted for Ohio State over University of Michigan. Go blue. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I knew you'd get there. And, I knew you'd
1: get there. law school at University of Michigan. We even think those guys are OK. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, they're not. They're, 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 they're all go blue people. And I was the only guy with scarlet and gray in the days that we played in the big house against state. But Mike, I've known you a long time and I know your background, but let's assume nobody does. They need to know what your background is and why it fits Michigan, because the last Republican to win Michigan was Donald Trump in 2016 and before that, we haven't won a Senate race in a long time up there, even though it should be a winnable state.
1: Yeah, oh, absolutely. And I believe passionately, Hugh, this is a winnable state. And I think people are tired of what they see both in Lansing, Michigan. I mean, they're chasing people out of our state as fast as they can get a rental truck. Uh, And same with Washington, D.C. I mean, it is working against the interests of families, especially Michigan families here. I'm a former military guy. I served as a special agent with the FBI. You remember that FBI, Hugh, when we had actually go after criminals? Remember that? Remember that FBI? Yeah, Uh, I worked uh, against organized crime, uh, tackling organized crime, became the chairman, got into politics, got into the U.S. Congress, became the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee in the pretty hard days right after uh, 9, 11, uh, and, uh, got out because I didn't believe that you were supposed to be in, uh, Congress for 30 years and 40 years and 50 years. I just didn't believe that was the right thing to do. Our founding father said, Hey, come in, serve. go back and do something else. So in 2015, I went off and did something else, did a little media, but I focused on cybersecurity companies, trying to protect individuals data from cyber criminals and, and nation states like China and Russia, uh, I'm the only guy that that actually has worked in a car factory running for for office uh, in Michigan. Uh, And I'll tell you, the the folks who are running now on the on the Democrat side, pretty elitist. We have a Hollywood star. We had somebody who went to Cranbrook and Columbia. And listen, I think if you understand the people of Michigan, it's really helpful to be where they were. And so I'm taking all of that. Listen, their their economics are bad. And according to the Biden administration, they want to do away with about twenty four thousand UAW jobs because they build internal combustion engines, which, by the way, you can put on a hybrid. And really important to understand that uh, they are seven hundred dollars a month more in costs for groceries than it was just uh, two years ago. Seven hundred dollars a month. Uh, and I know that, you know, Bidenomics is running around saying, isn't everything great? uh the, the most powerful thing to, to hear is when a cashier told me it's not about what they're not showing up in their cart, but families who she's known for years show up with the same kind of cart and they get to the end of the bill rung up and they have to take things off and put it back in the cart because the costs have gone up so much. They can't afford what they would normally buy for their family. And this isn't extravagance. This is eggs and meat and cheese, things like that. I mean, it's it's tough and people understand it's getting tougher. If you're a small business owner, the federal government expanding uh, welfare and, and uh, opportunities not to work. Guess what it means? People aren't showing up for work. They're having a struggle. I mean, all of this is working against us. And just lastly on this, nobody understands the national security threats to the United States. I think uh, as well as I do, Hugh, I've been studying this for a long time. I've been at China before it was chic, uh, worried about communist China, what they're doing to the United States. So, I'm going to, the good news is, I can walk in on day one, day one in the United States Senate and start making an impact on all the things that are bugging us the border, well, if we have a border anymore, uh, all of the things that we know we get up in the morning and worry about your jobs, your economy, your economic security, your national security. I don't have to wait, no on job training. I can get right in there and get our hands on it and get going in the right direction and get America back on track.
2: Now, Mike Rogers, I pointed out in my opening uh, Donald Trump won Michigan in 2016. Ronald Reagan won Michigan in 1980. That's where we invented the Reagan Democrat, St. Clemens, I think, or St. Clair, I can't remember which one, Mount St. Clemens, St. Clair, was the place where all of the former Democrats went over and voted for Reagan. They did it again when they were current Democrats in 2016. How do you get those people to come to Mike Rogers? And by the way, I put over at my ex account, formerly known as Twitter, the link to your campaign donation site, because it's going to take a lot of money to run in Michigan. How's the money going? And how do you how do you get Detroit and Ann Arbor to keep the Democratic margins down so you can win the rest of the state easily?
1: Yeah, well, one of the things is we worry about working people. You know, the, the current Democrat Party has, you know, whistled past the graveyard and decided that working people just don't matter. Most of the money pouring in on the Democrat side is from all over the country. A lot of Hollywood money, a lot of San Francisco money, a lot of New York City money. And guess what? If you get up and go to work here in Michigan, you know, you can pour that money in the top and we probably will be outspent. We'll need your help. And if your listeners are so inclined, we'd love it. Anything helps keep pace with uh, what they're trying to do. Uh, But we're talking to the. It's Macomb County is the county I think you were thinking about. That's uh, right. Where they have founded, the Reagan Democrats. Because they want somebody that understands that, you know, you're supposed to represent Michigan to Washington. Washington isn't supposed to represent itself to you. And so we're talking to all of these folks. We're talking about the, uh, the EV strategy. And this is unique probably to most other states. But when they mandate electric vehicles, and by the way, they have no way of recycling those batteries. So for those of you who say, well, it's environmentally friendly, it's not. It's a small little toxic waste dump in that electric car. And I, I think we should still be doing research, but mandating that everybody own uh, an EV is devastating to a state like Michigan. And by the way, one Tesla EV with 85 percent of its electrification actually processed in China, as as is every electric car. This is a national security issue. You can get 90 hybrid cars, 90 my argument is: What are we doing, forcing this down Americans' throat for cars they don't want? And uh, listen, if you drive a you know a small car up in the in the UP, I don't know Chevy Bolt that's all electric, uh, pretty pretty small car. Actually, they're they're good cars if you're around the city. If you're in the UP, you're going to get scooped up by a snowblower, and we'll find you in the spring in your neighbor's yard. I mean, it doesn't work for every family. And so, what we've got to do is take a deep breath. If you want to get to a better uh, economy and you want to get to a cleaner environment and you want to be able to beat back the Chinese that are taking our dollars, American dollars, and modernizing their nuclear arsenal, building a bigger Navy, building uh, the missiles that are really, really devastating to our our naval fleet. I mean, these are the kinds of things that people with common sense understand. And we're just going to get back to that common sense. And when you again, when you've been working with your hands at one point in your life, you understand that common sense is what gets you through the next day, get your family in a better place, get your job in a better place. Washington just has forgotten all of that.
2: Uh, Mike Rogers, the Detroit blue blob has gotten smaller, but the Ann Arbor blue blob has gotten bigger. How do you work those two areas specifically John James has run twice. Great guy. Great African-American. Got blown out twice for Senate. Uh, won the House. Good for him. But it's because he couldn't get those margins down in those two areas. I mean, Ann Arbor is deep blue. Detroit is, is sort of light blue now, but it's still pretty deep blue. How do you work to keep the margins down and therefore your success rate up for a Republican? so you know we're we're talking we're having conversations people
1: just aren't used, used to talking about hugh and i'll give you a great example so china is teaching their eighth graders quantum mechanics last year in the united states 57 percent of americans that graduated as seniors could not read past the sixth grade level you want to talk about the destruction of a country you just keep doing that and so what we're doing is we're talking to suburban moms we're talking to people who are concerned about the future of the country An education that is absolutely failing families. I mean, failing families. That's criminal. Think of that. And this isn't the first year this has happened. This has been happening for a while. And so you've got a whole uh, host of young adults who can't read past the sixth grade level. One of the reasons the United States military is falling short on its recruits, there are several of them, but one of them, is they can't read well enough that the folks who are coming out of high school or want to come back into the military, they're in their early 20s, can't read well enough to pass the test. This is a crisis. We have a literacy, a low literacy crisis in the United States. So we're talking to those folks about, hey, is this really? You're just going to cede this to the Democrats who have been in charge of, of your education for the last 50 years. And, oh, by the way, tell you they're the only ones that care. And now we have kids that can't do math and can't read. We have, if you care about the country and our future, you have to change this dynamic. We have ways to do that. Uh, Mike Rogers from Michigan. Go
2: Google him or you can go to my X account and follow the windbread to Mike Rogers campaign. Give him 20, give him 100, give him whatever you need. We can win Michigan with Mike Rogers. I rarely get involved in primaries, but Michigan needs Mike Rogers. My friend Fred Upton, he's actually center right and very, very electable if we get him the nomination. So I'm weighing in early. Mike Rogers from Michigan. Thank you, Mike. Senator Lankford is next. America, stay tuned. I'm Hugh Hewitt. I'll be right back with the Senator from Oklahoma. Welcome back, America. I wish Senator James Lankford of Oklahoma's Prevent Government Shutdown Acts had passed, but it hasn't. Senator Lankford, we're on the verge again. You're a, a alum of the House. What is the state of play with shutting down the government?
5: Well, it's still in conversation, obviously. Good morning, by the way. So there's a lot to be done in the next uh, 10 days, basically, to be able to get all, everything done that needs to be done. I do hope that we can get this Prevent Government Shutdowns bill so we're never in the spot again. I hate seeing the countdown clock and everyone talking about at what point the United States of America and our government is going to be able to go into shutdown. We do need to have the debt and deficit conversation, but we don't need to have it in the middle of a shutdown. That just hurts federal workers. It hurts our economy. It it spends more money. Uh, It wastes taxpayer dollars. So let's actually have the argument. Let's keep the government actually functional.
2: You know, five Republicans voted against advancing the Defense Appropriations Act yesterday, including Matt Rosendale, who would like to join your ranks in the Senate. And he won't. You can't be anti-defense and become a Republican. Dan Bishop in North Carolina, Ralph Norman in South Carolina wants to beat Lindsey Graham. That's a silly fight. What do you tell your former colleagues in the House about voting against defense spending? That's really a nightmare for a Republican.
5: Yeah, well, it it is. Obviously, the main focus we have is national defense, equal opportunity for every single individual across the country. Those are basic principles for Republicans. This Indian government shutdown bill that I've got would actually keep us going in the debate. Uh, And it's a pretty simple, straightforward way to be able to do it. You keep the government open and operating with a continuing resolution just short term, but we can't actually move to anything other than appropriations. So if we have a fight over defense appropriations, we just keep the argument going until we solve it. Rather than closing the government down and keeping the fight going, that doesn't make sense.
2: Now, the, uh, the preventing government shutdown does that renew the continuing resolution on a monthly basis, a weekly basis? Because I hate CRs because they don't let the Pentagon uh, change anything, and they need to change a lot of things. So I, how does it work? I,
5: I I get that completely. It actually renews it every two two weeks, but the the trigger on it really is members of Congress and our staff, members of OMB in the in the executive branch. We can't travel. Uh, Congress is in session seven days a week. Every single day of the week, we have a quorum call. And the only bills that we can actually move to under it are appropriation bills. So it, the most simple way to say it is if you're in class and you haven't finished your work, you've got to stay after class until you actually finish your work on it. Uh, so it keeps us in continuous session working on appropriations. I can assure you in this body uh, that if we're here two weeks in a row uh, without any weekends and we can't move to other things under appropriations, this body will actually get its work done There's no motivation in this body like jet fumes uh, that we get to the end of the week and everybody says, I need to get home to see my family. I've got a CODEL I've got to get to. I've got a fundraiser. I've got an event with constituents. Everybody has things they've got to be able to do. And if we're locked into this place saying you're here seven days a week, every single day, we got to work on appropriations until it gets done. We will not be long in a continuing resolution. I love that. How
2: many Democratic co-sponsors do you have? Senator Lankford.
5: We have five at this point in the Senate. So we're trying to be able to keep this as even as we can, Republicans and Democrats. This started from the very beginning with Maggie Hassan from New Hampshire. She and I sitting down together and saying there's never been a nonpartisan way to end government shutdowns. All the bills in the past have all been partisan. So we started from the beginning saying, how do we do a nonpartisan way? The equalizer is time in this place. If you really want to put a crunch on every member of Congress and our staff, it's take away time and to be able to focus in on that. That actually motivates us to be able to get it done. it puts the pressure where it needs to be and it holds the the federal workers and the American people harmless while we argue things out here
2: I also would say every other election year every other year that's an election year it would have a double accelerant because the the members who are up in the Senate have got to get home right
5: right yep yeah the, the focus again is whatever the fiscal year is I you know this is a totally different subject but I'd rather have the fiscal year be the same as the calendar year, run January to December. But that's not what it is right now. It runs October to the end of September. So you're right. During an election year, it puts additional pressure that we've got to be able to be here to be able to get it done. That's both House and Senate, staff and members. Uh, But again, if we get to that point, there's lots of different options. We can actually pass appropriation bills and it doesn't kick in. That'd be revolutionary. We could do a, a CR to be able to extend it out. But the one thing you can't have is a shutdown. That can't actually occur under this so that we keep the argument going.
2: Well I hope that succeeds. Let me ask you one exit question, Senator. In terms of the the uh funding for the border, if there is a government shutdown, the demand the Republican House makes has got to be coherent and short. I think it ought to be about the border fence doubling the border patrol and building facilities for migrants. That's it. Focus on that. Do you have any idea what they're going to focus on as a demand if the government shuts down?
5: I don't at this point. One of the things we need to have in that demand is not to be able to do Biden's uh, proposal for the border at this point. He wants additional flexibility in the border to be able to pay for housing. He wants to pay for medical care. He wants to pay for legal uh, counsel for people that are crossing the border. He wants flexibility to get money that way. That should be a non-starter. number one. And then we should actually focus in on what are we doing to actually expedite hearings? If you wanna actually do increased border security, whoever came across the border last should be first up to be able to have a hearing. That would be a major deterrent. Right now, if you cross the border, you get an eight year line to be able to actually get to a hearing. So you might as well just be waving someone in. Uh, so that's, a, that's the big change that we need to actually have is hearings right off the bat for asylum requests because the vast majority of people requesting asylum don't actually qualify for asylum and everyone knows it.
2: And we, we, we do need to make the ask specific on issues like that. Senator James Lankford, good luck with the Prevent Government Shutdown Act. I hope the Republicans who are listening sign on with you and the Democrats, too. I know you're out there, Angus. I know you're out there. A couple of other people that listen every morning. Go and get on board with Senator Lankford, because this is stupid. What we're doing in terms of shutting the government down without an agenda is stupid. Uh, Senator Lankford, thank- Hi, it's Hugh Hewitt. Code Red is the latest in the... Vince Flynn, Mitch Rapp series. This one authored by Kyle Mills, who's done The Last Ten, and this is Kyle Mills at his best. The new Mitch Rapp thriller is being hailed by Town Hall as a bullet train to high adventure. The real book spy says Code Red feels ripped straight from next week's headline. I read it in one day. I talked to Kyle Mills about it. If you find my iTunes website, you can listen to that interview. But all you'll hear there is that you should read this book. It's actually the kind of thriller that disturbs anyone who reads it. The question is always Mitch Rapp against the bad guys, but the bad guys in this case are both Russia and Syria and cartels. It's quite the read. Go get the number one New York Times best-selling Code Red by Vince Flynn, the Mitch Rapp series authored by Kyle Mills. Available now wherever books are sold, or go to my book club on my website at hughhewitt.com. That's Code Red, the latest in the Vince Flynn Mitch Rapp series, Code Red. Uh, Dwayne is not here today. He's having his annual PET scan. He's been cancer-free for five years. But we give him the day off to celebrate that, so knock on wouldn't say a prayer for Dwayne. But he did. Now, you're going to fit easier into the uh, into the PET scan. You know, I, I think it's been more than a year since he had another one. So so skinny Dwayne's going to come in. He was 50 pounds, 55 pounds heavier, maybe at the height of his illness, maybe 60. But when he started my PhD, com, he was 50 pounds heavier than he is now. And he lost it and he kept the weight off now into the 13th month because it's an easy to follow, easy to use, virtually counsel. So you zoom in once a week with your consultant. Tasty, good, variety, everything you want. It's not crazy. It's not stupid. You don't lose uh, 20 pounds in two weeks. That's stupid. You lose up to 50 pounds in three months, which Dwayne took to get rid of 50 That's, you know, for those of you who are doing the math, it's two-plus pounds a week. It works slowly. In fact, he got all new clothes. If he was here, I would have fun with him about that because he sometimes goes up closer to 45, but then he gets back down to 50. That's the range. And it's at myphdweightloss.com, myphdweightloss.com, or you can call 864-644-1900. That's 864-644-1900. I was expecting Garrity right now on my rundown. You guys didn't bring me Garrity. Did you try and call the wrong person? I was expecting Garrity on my rundown. You tried to call Gallagher. he just do it at the bottom of the hour. Uh, there's a new tool out, which I'm afraid to use. Bleeding money on subscription. These three tools will cancel them fast. Oh, Jim Garrity is there. I'll bet you he has subscriptions he doesn't know he has. Garrity, how are you? I'm doing okay, Hugh. How are you? Right. Have you ever run one of these subscription softwares that tell you how many things you subscribe to that you no longer read?
0: I have not, but I am instinctively cheap. So I'm, the one okay, we, we've we been debating, you know, do we need all the streaming services in this house? Beyond that, you know, obviously I've got a handful of newspaper subscriptions. Um, that's about it. I, I don't really, you know, I don't have a bazillion and one apps that are charged. I'll, I'll take the free version of every app. And then once it hits the, well, if you want more, you have to subscribe. I'm like, ah, eh, that's okay. I don't need it.
2: That you bad. know, I I just, I'm afraid I've got 28 Brown subscriptions. So I don't want to look. Now, Jim, you and I have something in common other than politics and working for the Washington Post. Aaron Rodgers went down in week one, your superstar. Nick Chubb went down in week two, my superstar. So tell me how to react to this. Because I was going to the Super Bowl this year, but Nick Chubb was half of our offense.
0: <laughs> well, let me let me make you feel better, Hugh. You weren't going to the Super Bowl, so you didn't have any grand. That's not plans true. Yes, we it. were. The AFC is loaded. You guys were, you know, by, you know, top of the mid range at best. All right, no. Oh, this isn't making you feel any better? Okay, let me go. uh no, like that's part of the game. Almost every team has some one. Now, here what I would argue look, your star running back, that's a really terrible thing to lose. I would argue there's almost no team in the league where if your starting quarterback goes down, you know, four plays into the sea and is out for the season, you know, Kansas City without Mahomes is not a competitive, you know, they're, they're in a much worse spot. Um, You know, the Bengals might are really having, you know, worried about Burrow and his durability after the injuries he's had. You know, any team that's in that situation is going to, you know, like no team can lose their starting quarterback and expect to be the same team. And it's probably very similar when you have one running back who is the focus of your offense the way it is for the the Browns.
2: There have been three running backs in the modern era who have carried 5.5 yards or longer. One of them is Saquon Barkley. He went down in the first week. Uh, The other guy's with the Titans. And then there's Nick Chubb, who has got the highest all-time yards per carry and normally wins the fourth quarter. Now, they'll come up with some running backs. They might sign Kareem Hunt. I don't know who's playing quarterback. You you can replace a running back, sort of, you get 80% of the production. But who's going to be Aaron Rodgers now? Zach Wilson, Really? Um,
0: Because of the amount of time it takes to learn the offense, I, the expectation is that Zach Wilson will start for the until the bye week, which is the first six weeks of the season. Even with Rodgers, it was a brutal schedule. You start off with the, the Bills at home. You go to Dallas, Patriots at home. Then I'm not quite sure of the order, but it basically is Kansas City, Denver, and Philadelphia. Two both Super Bowl teams, and Denver on the road. Denver's a gimme. Now the Jets are at home. Yeah, well, uh, I'm live I in Denver so. right now. Um,
2: Denver's yeah. a gimme. I,
0: I, I, I'm skeptical on the Broncos, but you know, Denver's never really an easy place to play. So no, it's,
2: it's not. They're, They're very obnoxious. That. I've been there often. They always play the fumble and the drive. Every single time I've ever been to a game at Mile High Stadium, they play the same two clips of the Browns.
0: Hugh, I'm picturing you at the airport and they're just local Denver residents who have iPads who are showing you footage of the fumble and the drive. They are follow you around everywhere you go to the city.
2: So, Jim, Um, I want to go to the fact that Charles W. Cook quoted you yesterday in his wonderful brief editorial on the fact that Joe Biden can't win. And you were the first to go there. I was early to go there. He cannot win. I want Democrats to hear that this isn't about Donald Trump or Tim Scott or anybody in between. It's the fact that we are not going to elect a car without an engine. Do you agree?
0: Uh, Look, I think it's a a lot harder than Democrats want to acknowledge. The message from the Biden White House this morning, according to Axios, is don't worry, we've still got Trump and and abortion as issues that will carry us to victory. The first thing is that Republicans Imagine what would happen if we didn't nominate Trump and we suddenly had Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley or Tim Scott or any one of these folks. Imagine how much we could louse up the Democrats' plans for 2024 if we didn't do what they were counting on. But, hey, I know you guys are hell-bent for leather on nominating Trump. This side.
2: Um, we're going to come back and, and talk Trump about that if I can keep you, Jim, because we got a late start. Because Senator Scott's coming up later in the show. During the break, if you're staying with us, I want you to think about what do you think I should ask Senator Scott don't go anywhere, America. Senator Scott's coming up. As is Senator Lankford, Senator Cotton. Got a whole bunch of people. But Garrity the Indispensable was dispensed with for five minutes there. We didn't get our full Garrity dose, and we need that every week. So stay tuned. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Up down got got Welcome back, America. You're talking to a frustrated Hugh Hewitt, not because of football. Jim Garrity is here. Jim, I got a call during the break. Senator Scott has canceled his appointment this morning, which makes the 845th time Uh. Senator Scott has canceled his appointment for the morning. And I've just got to tell you, it's the worst run campaign of them all. Uh, And I say that objectively as I don't mind people being hard to get. I hate it when they come and they give you one choice, you take the choice, and then they cancel. What do you think is wrong with Team Scott?
0: I don't know. Uh, Look, the the entire argument of the Tim Scott presidential campaign. And by the way, let me begin by saying, I really like Tim Scott. I think he's a senator.
2: Even on mornings when he cancels an hour before he's supposed to show up.
0: He is a cool drink of water on a hot summer day in a political environment that often seems toxic and nasty and needlessly combative and, and you know, all that stuff. Tim Scott's the antidote to all that stuff. Having said that, there's always been this question of, was this what the Republican Party wanted in a presidential nominee? And I think so far the answer is no. Uh, but, you know, Tim Scott has buckets of charisma. He has the support of so many of his colleagues. And there's no indication that that's translating into support in Iowa or New Hampshire. Or, I mean, and in his home state is you, you, you're going you're to ask me, what should you ask you know, Tim Scott? Um, I think a fair question would be when, you know, if. Things right now. So far, you have not caught fire. That could change between now and those first early votes. And I don't want to dissuade anybody who's a Tim Scott supporter out there from saying it's hopeless, give up. It's not like the Cleveland Browns. And uh, and just kind of say what what's his threshold from this is still worthwhile. Is it? Is there a certain level of success he wants to achieve in Iowa, and New Hampshire? Is he going to stay and vote? Stay around until his home state votes? You know, come hell or high water. Uh, does he have concerns about being in the same right state as Nikki Haley? And if, the, you know, if like having two candidates from South Carolina, doesn't that likely to cancel it out? Oh, by the way, the polls have Donald Trump well ahead in South Carolina. So at what point do you look at the handwriting of the wall and say, this isn't worth it anymore? This is the, my, my campaign's not going anywhere. All I'm doing, you know, if, if your concern is to not to nominate Trump, Tim Scott is one of those candidates who's splitting the non-Trump vote. Um you know, what, what, what is your measurement for success? And I think you're a great guy and all, but, um, and I should point out, my parents are big fans of his, and he's written nice things to them, and they've written nice things back, and, you know, like, uh, but, you know, people only get one vote for president, and I think that's what a lot of these Republicans, what a lot of presidential candidates don't get. They walk around to the airports, they walk around to events, say, people like me. Well, that's great, but that's not really the threshold. They have to like you more than anybody else, and they have to be willing to entrust you with the fate of the country for the next four to eight years. And a lot of folks fall well short of that threshold and really don't want to hear about it and insist, no, no, next week you see the polls, I'll be a lot better.
2: You know, the question I was going to ask him is, when do you do more harm to good than your political future? Because there's an argument yeah. he's doing good for himself through Iowa, and then he's doing harm to himself if he doesn't come into the top three. I can understand that argument. But I also, I go back to the stuff people don't see which is who's running the campaign, where are you showing up, and are you honoring your commitments? And the only person who is flooding the zone is Donald Trump. By flooding the zone, I mean, last week, he did an hour with me, an hour with Dan Bongino, and an hour with 60 Minutes, and then uh, uh, meet the press. Isn't That's kind mm-hmm. of impressive, all right? That's kind of impressive. Yeah.
0: Uh, Ron genius. DeSantis did yeah, look, CBS you know, right. Morning.
2: That was it. There, no one else floods the zone.
0: You and I have talked about uh, the problems of mainstream media coverage, if not in every one of our conversations over the decades you and I have been friends and, and on this program almost every time or, or you know, all that stuff. so I get why Republicans don't like doing interviews. I get why Republicans are suspicious that they're going to be ambushed, that the tape's going to be edited, et cetera. I, I get that. But at some point you got to get your go out and get your message out. And they also like, there's a little bit of inclination of fear, right? There's a little intimidation, you know, like Donald Trump, doesn't care. Kirsten Welker Wilk- is going to come and have all kinds of fact checks and have all kinds of actually you're wrong. You know, Mr. Trump, you know, like he doesn't care. He just goes out and he does it. And I think that there's a um, fearlessness in that that people admire. And it also gives people things to talk
2: about. Oh, I, um, I asked him, did I, you, I did that you that said, order anyone to move the boxes? He says, I'm not going to tell you the answer to that question, which is the right way to answer a question you don't want to answer.
0: It's also, this is a matter, of, I'm, I'm in court over this, so no, I don't want to talk, I don't want to elaborate, you know. Um, look, I, I have a reader who loves Nikki Haley and says, why aren't you writing more about Nikki Haley? But I like Nikki Haley as well. I think she's a great governor, you know, UN ambassador, really, arguably, maybe the most diverse range of experience on a resume of anybody in the GOP field. But she said, why aren't you writing, well, Nikki Haley doesn't generate a lot of news. You know, you know Nikki Haley went down to the border and said she wants to have a secure border. Okay. Every Republican candidate wants to have a secure border. There's nothing that stands out about that. There's nothing unique about that. Um, and unfortunately, you know, I could I could write I could rewrite the campaign press releases. I, I don't know if I'm really serving my readers all that well by doing that. But you know, do something unusual. And the first three letters in the word news are N E W. New, right? Do something that is new. Do something that is surprising. Do something that is unexpected. Trump going to talk to the United Auto Workers is unexpected. I don't know what kind of reception he's going to get. The United Auto Worker president hates his guts and he is you know, denouncing.
2: But he's creating something interesting. And, 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 and that any of them could go happen. to New York to the shelters that are full of newly arrived migrants, or they could do the same thing in Massachusetts. But I really do think consulting in the year 2023 is as old as the dinosaurs and less innovative. Jim Garrity, over at Jim Garrity on X, follow him at National Review, The Morning Jolt, what you should get, and watch and read his columns in the Washington Post. England, I shall watch the English mist roll the dead. Welcome back, America. I'm going to bet 100 to 1 odds that Olivia Beavers has no idea who Roger Whitaker is. Am I right, Olivia Beavers?
6: I well, no, I'm just upset that you're, you're right, but...
2: <laughs> he's, he's singing yeah, this song, and in the 60s, he was sort of England's answer to, I don't know, whoever was a balladeer, and he died at the age of 87 yesterday. Olivia, I need you to explain to me what happened yesterday in the House. Uh, I think they fell short of a rule on the National Defense Authorization Act, and what does the Knucklehead Caucus, led by Matt Gates, chairman of the only thing he'll ever be chairman of, the Knucklehead Caucus, five members, what do they want?
6: So um, ooh, let's break it down. There was basically a vote on the appropriations defense rule. So basically, they vote on the rule, and then they actually have a vote on the bill on the House floor. And traditionally the rules make it through and then members can express how they feel about a certain piece of legislation. Um, that has started to break down this Congress with mostly Freedom Caucus members. There were five members who opposed it yesterday. And because of Republican absences due to family and health reasons, they were able to succeed in blocking the rule. So now there's no way of appropriations going forward. And I'm getting texts from Republicans who are angry saying, you said you wanted votes on individual appropriations bills, rather than it all being lumped together and kind of pushed down our throats. And, but then you vote against the rule when we try to actually do it singly. So there's a lot of frustration. It makes Republicans look like they don't have a path forward in terms of figuring out how to keep the government funded. And, um, you know, that, some of the Republicans who were um, military veterans, who were moderates and centrists and battleground Republicans, they went to the, the steps and voiced their frustration. Um, Matt Gates was not part of the five. He has a pretty strong military um, presence in his district. So he voted to put for the rule. But he is one of the leading Republicans in challenging uh, Kevin McCarthy on spending in addition to um my count is there's about 17, 16 Republicans right now who say they oppose basically this framework that is pushing border security. It has different cuts. Um, some agencies would get an 8% cut. Some would get 5% cut. And um, because they want it to be at the pre-COVID levels of 1.47 trillion, and this is 1.59 trillion. So they feel like it doesn't go far enough. And that's what they've been. Impressing. Then
2: help me out with who is, I, I, I've done Matt Gates wrong and I apologize. I thought he was part of the five. I don't mind people negotiating for leverage over the eventual uh, continuing resolution. I hate holding up defense spending. Who are the five?
6: The five, <clears throat> and there's an interesting trend and I'll, I'll tell you about that. So one's Kim Buck, Andy Biggs, Matt Rosendale, Ralph Norman, and Dan Bishop. So three of them are running for, or at least I, or running for a higher office, um, which which is something to kind of keep in mind. You which know, which three are those? Also... So Ralph Ralph Norman might, he's floated the idea of primarying and challenging Lindsey Graham. Dan oh, we'll Bishop crush him. Okay,
2: we'll crush him. Good. Next.
6: He's running for AG in North Carolina. And then Matt Rosendale. Is that Ralph Norman?
2: Who's running for AG in North Carolina? Ambition. Okay, we'll, we'll crush him too. I've got lots of stations in North Carolina. Good. Who's number three?
6: And then uh, Matt Rosendale in Montana.
2: He's already running, done. And I
6: know. And Put a I, fork large, in that. Largely, and, but uh, I will say there's a uh, an operative, a Republican operative, who works on Senate campaigns. And they plan to hammer him basically being like, well, you voted against the most conservative um, bill that we've had on border and, and military. And so they're using this as part of their opposition if Rosendale does ultimately jump in, which, you know, you're you're watching how politics and races play out firsthand with just how the votes happen on the House floor.
2: Now, Ken Buck's a friend of mine. I don't un- I'm so glad to hear Ken isn't running for reelection for other, he's a good congressman. What is his beef with helping... The National Defense Authorization Act and the and the defense preparation over the border, over the over the goal line.
6: So he's it's gonna be a numbers thing for them. So they've been arguing since the debt ceiling limit had been raised that they wanted they wanted the number that they had originally passed in the House, not the one that was ultimately agreed to with President Biden and you know one that the one that was successfully made through. And so they're pushing for even steeper cuts, but that gets into a whole other kind of uh, headache because there are moderates and rank and file Republicans who are not comfortable going to the levels that they're pushing, and they also argue it's dead on arrival in the Senate, so they wouldn't be able to push their policy policy objectives, and it wouldn't actually make it through. While well, you're Olivia, remind our
2: audience how yes. many Republicans are there? Two hundred twenty-one
6: or two hundred nineteen? Yep. Yep. Two 200- hundred. 221, I believe. Yeah, that's
2: right, 221. So it's not about conservative and liberal because Jim Banks voted for the rule. He he ran the Republican study group. Uh, He's going to be the next senator from Indiana. Mike Waltz is a Trump-backing Green Beret from Congress to combat sort of guy. Uh, Mike Gallagher, they all voted for this rule except these five. It's just these five and they're crazy. And I hope they run for IRA, except Ken Buck's got to wake up. That's just, uh, Ken's a smart guy. I don't get that. So what happens next?
6: Well, um, you're going to see, and um, this is sort of the glimpse into the glamorous life of a reporter, but you're going to see probably multiple different meetings today as they scramble to figure out the path forward. Uh, they definitely want to get this passed, but they need to figure out how to get enough Republicans on board with the broader spending plan To pass the House, or they're warning that they're going to get steamrolled by the Democratic-run Senate. So I'll be probably standing outside, chasing people as they walk in and they walk out, saying, "What are the status of the talks? Are you making any progress?" And you're going to have three different narratives that come out. You're going to have the the people who are, um, you know, saying Kevin McCarthy's not doing enough, and uh, this is going to hurt him in the future. People like Matt Gates and. And um, some of his critics are going to have some of the negotiators who are more optimistic and saying that they think that they're winning people over. And it's a process and it's a negotiation. This is how, you know, politics works. And the debate is playing out for the American people to see. And then you will have the people who just don't know what's going on and they'll they'll think they know what's going on. They'll they'll try to share information anyway.
2: I I don't believe anybody knows who's not talking to, to the speaker or the leader or the whip. But my view is. Dan Bishop, Ralph Norman and Matt Rosendale hate the American military and the idea that they are sacrificing the American debate so that they can run for higher office is repugnant to me. And I hope nobody gives them a dime ever. Now, on the other side, you mentioned the one last thing I want to talk about. The Senate can act if the Republicans can't get their act together and send a bill over. Is that going to happen? Because it's not constitutional. It's not the way it's supposed to happen. But they can fix that defect in the House if they want to. What do you think happens?
6: That's an option. And I think, um, you know, senators are talking. I think you're seeing a breakthrough with Senator Collins and um, Ron Johnson in terms of how they want to approach things. Um, and, and the, and the bigger Democrats will be putting forward their plan. So they're going to have a much more bipartisan approach to how this is going to work. And they're they're largely staying out of the drama. But if they put forward their plan, That gives them leverage, and and Republicans are sort of caught flat-footed. That's why they've been arguing, we want to pass something in the House, even if we know it's going to get changed in the Senate, but it gives us leverage to start how these negotiations are going to go. You know, Um, I can't tell you how many
2: times I've said on this program over 23 years, you've got to get to the conference. Nothing matters until you get to the conference, and the first person to the conference wins. And by getting to the conference, the House version and the Senate version are different. They've got to get to the conference and reconcile, and nothing matters. And whoever gets there has first mover advantage. Then the debate is about what's in their bill. Only the knucklehead caucus, and that's the 17, that's Matt Gates's caucus, is doesn't understand basic congressional work. They just don't. Where is Chip Roy, by the way? He's the smart guy among the 17. Where is Chip Roy?
6: Roy is not in the seventeen, So he's actually one of the negotiators who has pushed. He's um, him, Byron Donald, Scott Perry, the Freedom Caucus chairman. They were all deeply involved in working with the Main Street Republicans to come up with this framework. So Chip Roy has been out there selling it um, and and saying, like, this is what we need for the border. This is what we need for the cuts. I don't Some of these Freedom Caucus members are, are questioning, saying, what does it take for us to get to a win? Like what, what can, how, do, how do we win this if you're not going to support this? And some of them said that they've been asking their colleagues that and they feel like they're not getting an answer. Their response is usually we want steeper cuts. Um, but you're definitely seeing frustrations in terms of how the Freedom Caucus, which is supposed to be a unified, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll give answers about, you know, we, we believe in discourse and debate and, and this, but they're pretty divided right now. And on a, on, on a matter where they're supposed to be working kind of in a unified way, spending is something that they all agree on, but they are completely at odds right now over how to move forward. Well, I, I'm, I'm optimistic
2: extent. with Chip Roy on the good guy side, but I must tell you, Dan Bishop and uh, Matt Rosendale and Ralph Norman should never be elected dog catcher. They're against the American military. They are. They're just against the American military and the people that, that are protecting their rear ends and no one should vote for them for anything. Olivia, thank you for your time. Follow her at Olivia Beavers over at X, the site formerly known as Twitter, and read her at Politico. Every single day, she knows what's going on in the halls of Congress. She's respected by Republicans and Democrats alike. Thank you, Olivia